0: And they can start the party at Scotland. That's a brilliant goal from Gary
1: Jones. And Henderson...
2: Hello and welcome to the Rochdale AFC.com podcast. My name is Dean and I'm joined as always by Chaff. Chaff, how are you getting on, mate? Uh, not too so bad, mate. Thank you. And Ryan's with us as always. Rye, how are you?
0: Yeah, good. Thanks, mate.
2: And Luke, how are you getting on, mate? All good, Dino. All good. Quite an upbeat free answers there, given uh, the fact that Dale are pretty much relegated, but we'll crack on with uh, all of that nonsense. Now we've, we're going to talk through the the, uh, the draws with both Crewe and Wimbledon that leave Dale needing a five-point turnaround um, in the last two games of the season to survive relegation. And we'll talk through some of the other issues surrounding the club, as we seem to have to do on every podcast at the moment. But we'll start with that game against Crewe. Um, and it was not the most entertaining game. It looked like Dale had thrown away even a point in injury time when a penalty was given against Aaron Morley. Um, but. Matt Dorn with one of the last kicks of the game uh, rescued a point for Dale. Chaff, why do you think we struggled to create as many chances in that game? Do you think crew deserve a bit of credit for, for limiting us or do you think it was just a, a bit of a flat performance after the three you know, back-to-back home wins?
1: I genuinely don't know, to be fair for the NHB. Um, we didn't create as much as we had in the previous games, um, but we still had chances to, we still had chances to, to win the game. Um, I'm looking at Jimmy Keohane's header, or Jimmy Keohane's header, that I know he's a makeshift defender and ordinarily you wouldn't bank on him to score, but given how he's played this season, there's not many people you'd want it to fall to more than him. Um, And yeah, I think he's got to bury it. Um, But that and Ollie's header just before that aside, we didn't really create much. Um, And... Yeah, I can't really put my finger on it, but yeah, the the, the chances were there. And then later on we got Delta Blow, didn't we, with um the dive from Kirk. Um and then we, we did well to react to that really.
2: Ryan, how did you feel when that penalty was given? Because we're saying there it was a bit of a flat performance, but I think it's fair to say at the same time, we definitely didn't deserve to lose the game. For me, we were maybe the better side, but not by much. And it felt like a crushing blow, didn't it, when that penalty was given?
0: Yeah, I thought we were the better side. Um, and then as soon as it happened, I thought it was a dive. So when he blew his whistle, I thought, oh, he's he's given it. He's given the, the dive and many points to the spot. And it's just, it was devastating that. And yeah, it was, I think it's hard on... Had to be Aaron Morley as well, who's had quite a lot of stick this season. Um, but you can't attach any blame whatsoever to him for it, because it, it, I've just watched the game again because I couldn't remember half of it. And even on the replay, it's just so obviously a dive. Um, and you can tell by their reaction to it and our players' reaction to it. And when a guy scores for rebound from a penalty, he doesn't really celebrate. So it's almost like he would embarrass the score, almost. Um, but yeah it was devastating Um, and it would yeah thank God we we got the equaliser because we definitely didn't deserve to lose it
2: yeah he he rubbed it in even further I thought a minute later didn't he Kirk when he he was subbed off and just strolled off as if it was the World Cup final and he was desperate for the win like um, yeah it was really difficult to take but Luke you know um, it showed the spirit in the squad which we spoke about a lot recently to to not give up at that point and to go and grab um, what seemed at the time to be a really important equalizer in the last kick of the game.
3: Yeah, I I, I didn't realize at the time. At the time when Dunn scored, I thought it's it's not enough. We needed the win for us to have any chance. But to be fair, on reflection, I think we went into Tuesday with with that mindset more. So, um, yeah, you know, great characters to kind of you know. Get that equaliser so late in the game, and um, you know fair play, I think, to Shauna. See, we've criticised a little bit on here, haven't we? Um, just to show the kind of the composure to play that pass at that point in the game. I think it was the pass that made the goal in, in many respects, and um, you know left on with a. well, uh, we're going to say simple, but he did lift it over the keeper, didn't he? Um, yeah, I mean, it does show character, doesn't it? I think a lot of teams may well have just kind of given up because it was so late in the in, in the game when we did concede and um, the manner in which we conceded as well. Um, football can just be it's been cruel, hasn't it, over the last week for us?
2: Yeah, it feels like it's been cruel over the majority of the season, to be honest, but how much of that is, you know, unluckiness and our own downfall. I'm not sure we we'll maybe dig into that a little bit later on, but um, Chaff- Ryan touched on the fact that it was Morley that gave the penalty away there. He does come in for a lot of stick from the supporters, but I felt you know, he can't really be blamed for the penalty at all because it was a terrible dive and he couldn't have done much more, but I did think it was a pretty poor display from him and again, I just think he slows that midfield down a lot compared to when he's not in there and that's saying something when one of the players that usually plays ahead of him is uh, Shaughnessy, who's not exactly the most dynamic midfielder either.
1: No, I'd agree with that. Um, he's in the side. He's in the side, really, for one reason and one reason only, and that's his, his passing ability and his his ability to get balls into the box and to to create something out of nothing, really. And yeah, he does slow the player down a bit. His lack of defensive awareness, as well, is um, hinders us when he's playing so deep. Um, I think we've said that quite a number of times. I think Shaun is better. At, at that aspect of the game, um, but at the same time, I, I Sean has not pulled up any trees. So when he did come, when Marley did come back into the, the side, I didn't see it as a as a bad thing, so to speak. I thought there's a there's there's a plan here, and uh, we we want to get decent delivery into the box and try and attack it and. Yeah, it's um, the defensive side of Marley is what frustrates me because he's played so deep. He's got to be better. Um, if you remember, he, he conceded a very similar penalty in the dying seconds against Peter Bird, didn't he, as well. Um, obviously, this one to dive, so you can't sort of put any of the blame on on Marley. But I'm wondering if they saw that that, that he's got a sort of knack of trying to. But he's fought in where it maybe shouldn't be and he's just gone over regardless anyway and it's, it's worked. Um, yeah, he's only in the start for one thing, Marley, and that's to, to pass the ball around. And if he can't do that on a regular basis, he probably hinders us a little bit.
2: I just wish he did it a little bit quicker. That's my real criticism of him. I don't really mind the fact that he is in there for that one kind of role. It's just the fact that he seems to take so long to do everything. When he lines up to take a cross... It seems to take so long for him to actually do it that by the time he does it, the defence is set again and it's harder for us to attack it and take advantage of it. Um, But yeah, not a great performance from him. I think one of the other criticisms um, of BBM after the game, Ryan, was about the subs. And it's strange to say that because Shaughnessy came off the bench and set up who came off the bench. But I think that's a fair point because until the subs, I felt like we were in control, even if we weren't creating much, whereas... I think the game did slip away from us a little bit when we made the subs. And they came at quite a late stage of the game as well when we were chasing a goal.
0: Yeah, relatively. I'm just I'm looking now 'cause I've had to remind myself and the first sub is Matt Dorn on for Dooley and Humphreys on for Connor Grant. I wouldn't necessarily say they're bad subs to make, especially when you're chasing a goal. You think um bringing Humphreys on probably not sharp so d- it's one of them. If he'd not been brought on, fans would be asking why. Um, but I think it was probably 10 minutes too early for him. He, he didn't look fit, did he? He didn't look match fit. Um, and then you're bringing off Paul McShane, injured, but for bar, another attacking change when we were chasing a goal. And in the last five minutes, you're bringing off Rathbone for Shaughnessy. So, I'd, don't know. I don't necessarily think they're bad substitutions and the subs were made at 69 minutes 77 and 85 so pretty regular times for subs to be made so I found that a bit confusing when I saw the stick about the subs I must admit um, because I don't necessarily disagree with any of them I don't think um, and like you said t- two of the subs that came on were involved in the goal um, but I the one I could probably criticise is Humphrey's on a bit too early, a bit of desperation perhaps, when it probably hindered us slightly because I think it did the same on Tuesday, to be honest, because he just he doesn't look right, he doesn't look fit. Um, and I think BBM said it on the podcast and he said it in interviews since that Humphrey's don't like being out. If, if he feels fit, he wants to play. And I think we sort of he's perhaps in a bit of a huff. He probably wanted to play the last couple of games and and BBM's probably said, no, you're not fit. Um, whether that's come down to it, I don't know. But he's not looked right. But on the whole, I, yeah, I don't disagree with with any of that. We made to be honest.
3: Yeah, I agree with you there, Rai. I think I think we were crying out like on the WhatsApp groups and whatnot for for, for subs to be made. I don't think any blame can really go to BBM for the subs that he did make because they were positive changes. I just think it left us feet, left us kind of, we lost that balance and flow in them. You know, we brought good players on the pitch and um, I think we just, I think it was just losing our balance, but you would rather go out, you know, trying to win the game, making positive changes and not making them at all. And um, I think that's personally harsh on BBM. If if any criticism, you know, is to go his way for that. Um, You know, it's easier It's easier to say it in in hindsight, but uh, with hindsight, sorry, but um, there were positive changes.
2: Well, one thing I would say about Humphreys as well, and maybe I'm reading slightly too much into it, but actually when BBM gave the injury update the other week, he said that um, him and Lund were at a similar stage in the recovery, but that Humphreys didn't feel right, which maybe goes against what you just said there about him not wanting to be out. And I, I don't know, again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I do feel like perhaps he's looking beyond this season and beyond his time at Rochdale, to be honest. If he's not feeling like he wants to be out there and, you know, putting himself at risk of being injured again, then, you know, you've got to wonder whether he's, he probably doesn't see himself as a League Two player, nor should he from the performances he's put in this season. So I do wonder about that. We'll move on to the Wimbledon game. I suppose we've got to at some point. Um, we've said a few times, haven't we, Luke, on this podcast, it's the hope that kills you and, Jesus Christ that was uh, that was definitely the case on Tuesday night
3: just a roller coaster wasn't it? Um, you could sense you know we've said before on the podcast how you know there's certain things that might not translate um, to kind of when you're watching on the TV compared to when you're at a game. I think in many respects you could sense the nervousness without a crowd uh, you could sense that kind of atmosphere in, in, in that ground um, and I can only imagine. Yeah, it was it was from both teams. Um, it started extremely frantically. It was one of them. Um, it kind of took me back to when I first started following Dale when I was a bit younger. And oh, every time the opposition had the ball, um, I was scared. You know, you just you just scared, especially when they were putting balls in the box, putting good quality balls in the box to uh, you know two big target men. Uh, we struggle enough when we're defending against one. Never mind two. Um and it was just one of them kind of heart in mouth moments, you know, throughout the entire game and yeah, it is the hope that kills you. Um especially when that hope increases throughout the course of a match going 2-0 up. Um and then it gets taken away from you through um you know call it bad defending if you want, whatever it got taken away because they got back into it and um the penalty. The emotion of conceding the penalty stupidly, then saving it. Um, I said earlier on in the season that I uh, struggled to eat my kebab in the Sunderland game because of how good it was. I struggled to eat my kebab in this one just because of how nerve-wracking it was watching. Um, it was just so up and down. and um, it, In many respects, it was kind of every season summed up in 90 minutes in, in many ways. Um, and yeah, what, well, I mean, what else can you say? It's just just a sickness, just, ugh. you know, we've been so close, you know when people say football's a game of fine margins, et cetera, it, it really is you know if we if we don't concede that penalty um against Crewe and and we hold out, we have every chance of staying up, but don't get me wrong, you know this is we deserve to be where we are over the course of a season. It's just kind of. When you're reflecting on the last two games in isolation, it's hard not to go and think of like you know how it could have been different. Um, it leaves us with real slim hopes now.
2: I think that's a fair point, but Chaff, I mean, how many times are we going to say over the course of one season, it's fine margins, you know, at what point do we have to say it's, it's probably our fault if we're conceding goals in late stages of games? I mean, it's not a coincidence, is it, if we're constantly conceding late goals and being unable to, to see games out in game in situations where other teams seem to be able to?
1: No, there's no coincidence behind it. It's poor game management. It's nerves. It's desperation in, in our own box. And it's our own fault at the end of the day um, for not being able to deal with those situations. Um, the equalising goal for them. Um, I think it would fit so Chris put on a like a bit of an analysis about it, and our shape when that ball comes into the box is absolutely all over the place. And somehow, McNulty doesn't get anywhere near it despite jumping. Um, and he's got, he seems to have all the time in the world to turn and shoot, does bigger. And that's, we, we've seen so many goals like that where it's, you just want somebody to throw themselves in front of it or. And it's just not happened. But there's, there's no coincidence that we could, that we concede so many late goals. Um, I can't pinpoint one thing that it's down to. I think it's down to a combination of things. Um, probably nerves and, and poor game management, I'd, I'd say. But yeah, it's uh, it was a bit of a sickness because when, when you go when you take the lead, you expect us to be able to see it out even though we've seen numerous times this season that doesn't matter how many goals we seem to score, we'll always concede the same amount, if not more. Um, but, yeah, at, at that stage of the game, you're just you, you desperate for the whistle to go. Yeah, it j- just didn't happen. It just wasn't our night, unfortunately. But it's not down to, to one or two games this season, is it, that we're in this position?
2: Ryan, how much of a difference do you think it would have made having Paul McShane available on Tuesday. Um, I mean, we've said a lot, haven't we, that the injuries have affected us over the course of the season. I've kind of made the point that I think they've affected every team this season because every team's had more of them because of the the tight schedule and stuff. But a player like him, the record that we have with him in the team compared to without it, in a game like that, you can't help but feel it would have made a massive difference.
0: Yeah, I think... I agree to an extent that all teams have had injuries. I think it hits us more because of a squad we've got, the lack of depth. Um, but, yeah, not, not having McShane is always going to affect us when the replacement's Jim McNulty. Um, I think we had the conversation a few weeks ago about probably quite harshly, I think it was maybe February, March, where we were talking about who we think the worst players being. been. But I said McNulty and I stand by it. He's a liability. Um I don't actually think he he didn't do too badly I don't think but when you look in isolation he's given away the penalty that was stupid and he's missed that header for the goal so
2: nearly passed it into his own net as well in the first 10 didn't he?
0: (laughs) and you just have these stupid little moments from him he he looks for 89 minutes of a game he looks all right, but then he's got three or four moments in a game where he's just you wonder what's going for it that pass yeah I forgot about that um, it was just mental, but yeah, I, McShane just steadies us, I think, and his experience and his presence and how aggressive he is with strikers. I know, I know, um, I can't remember which game it was now, but when he stood off and there was a bit of criticism about for him for the goal when he stood off a def- uh, striker and tried to block the shot. But you can't help but think when Piggott gets that ball, he's either blocking a shot or he's getting, he's getting clattered. Um And O'Connell, I think it is, seems to sprint backwards five yards as soon as Piggott takes the first touch, which I think in hindsight he's doing that to try and make himself, I don't know, block maybe more of a goal or whatever it is, not let it go through his legs. But it just looks a silly decision. Um And I don't think that happens if McShane's on my pitch, because I think McShane's a lot tighter and a lot more aggressive with Piggott. Um, Makes you wonder what to do with McShane for next season, well, because we do look so a much better team with him in.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the toughest decisions we've got to make for me, um, because, like you say, we just look so much better with him in the team. And, and Luke, I think what what I would say is really important is that even if we decide, you know, he's not going to be able to play enough games to make it a viable option, we need to put some more leaders into this team, especially with McNulty at the age he is. And like Ryan said, they would become a little bit of a liability on the pitch. There aren't many players that you look to out there. And I think it's something we've alluded to before that you think can you know, galvanise a team and it's something that McShane can definitely do beyond just his defensive ability and quality.
3: Yeah, I think we've, when he's not been playing this season, I think that's been the times where at times we've questioned the team's character at, at different points throughout. I think a lot depends on kind of... And um, the players that don 't end up being being returned and, and and who will lose um but yeah, it would be good to see a bit more experience come in uh, going into next season it's probably going to be needed as well um you know regardless of what league we're in um you know but it's it, it isn't always just experience I think it's character, It's the right attitude and character um and I think you know, players for players like you know maybe Grant, who's looking good for the future, to get people with that experience and character around players like him, um, will will do well for, you know, um, his game as well. So, yeah, it can only second what what um, what Rice said. Mitch shane has been an absolute rock when he's uh, when he's played. Um, it's just he's not been fit enough, and it is a real kind of debate, isn't it, whether to whether you keep him on or not, I suppose it depends at what expense, um, as it would probably, you can probably put McLaughlin in that bracket as well, can't you?
2: I think one point that some people have made on the forum is you know whether he's worth keeping on as a, as a coach as well, he, he's done his badges and he's interested in going into coaching, uh, we've said that maybe the management team lacks a little bit of experience and although McShane doesn't have experience as a coach, he's got More experience than anyone in the squad as a player, um, having played in the Premier League for as long as he did. So perhaps that's something that we can look at doing. You know, where he has a dual role as a as a coach and as a player.
3: I think, like you know, we're we're talking on the whole because it feels like the season's over. But if we are just reflecting on the game in isolation, um, I think it's probably worth mentioning. I thought um, Beasley was absolutely incredible. Um, You know, one of the best kind of forward displays I've I've seen from a striker's, you know, from you know what I saw, he ran the line so well. Um and, and, and Beasley seems to be getting better and better. Um so if we if we can if we try to find the positives, I think Beasley's definitely one of them. Um, he looks a much better player than what he started the season out with us um really effective, strong, quick. Um, and he's getting a couple of goals now as well. So um yeah I just wanted to mention Beasley. I just thought he was amazing.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think he's been a real positive in the last few weeks. And I'm actually quite excited to see how he does in League Two next season. Would we'll be that, you know, alongside Humphreys or or whoever it is. And, Chaff, they were, they were positives. I mean, if we are looking at the game in isolation, like Luke said there, Beasley's performance was good. But Grant, as well, in the first half in particular, was very good with the ball. And we're starting to see, again, a player who maybe next season could be really important for us.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I agree with Luke's um, prayers of... Jake Beasley as well. I thought he was outstanding. Um, he was my man of the match by a distance, I thought. I thought he led the line brilliantly. He's getting into the right positions. Um he's 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 becoming a goal threat, but he's also helping out at the back as well. The defensive tackle that he makes right at the end, unbelievable tackle. It's a goal-saving tackle. Yeah. Um, and he, you get the feeling that he's gonna become invaluable at both ends. As well, he's not—he's never going to be a goal scorer, but he, if he can chip in with goals and he can run the line like he's doing and, and sort of bring other play, players into play like he has been doing, there, I think we've got to real asset. Um, and yeah, when it does transpire that we, we we're in we're in League Two, I'd be very interested to see how we uh, how we adapt to that as well, because uh, he exceeded my expectations. For being there. Um, of Grant as well didn't see anything from him in the first four five games and he's really come on so yeah a, a lot of players got to go to him he's got a lot of technical ability you can see that the way he, his ball control is, um his quick feet he's he, he's got a lot of technical ability um and first half i thought he was i thought he was excellent first half he was the, the one player that when we did something good, he was he he, he was the one starting it off, um, linking up well with Beasley, linking up well with the with the wing backs as well, and yeah, I thought he, he he's a player that's going to excite me. I think um, His bags and bags of potential, and if we can if we can start seeing and start sort of letting him realise his potential and start seeing what he can really do then I think we've got a hell of a player there, to be honest with you, and someone we can potentially make a lot of coin out
2: of. Right, one other player who I thought deserved a little bit of praise um, from Tuesday was Conor Shaughnessy. We know you know so far he's not exactly been consistent, but when he plays like that, he really tends to control the midfield, and I thought it was one of his better performances in a Dale shirt as well.
0: Yeah, agreed. Um, I've been less critical than most, but I do see his downfalls. But um, I think I said a few weeks ago, he's he's not played a lot of football in the last couple of years. Um, so he's probably been surprised by how much football he's been asked to play Um, but again that's probably down to injuries you you don't expect Lund to get injured Ryan's still out Um, but yeah I thought it was a really good performance again from him and you can see what he offers he needs good technical players around him because he's not that Um, but yeah I think I'd like to see him in that sort of full role I think in front of a back whatever we play because I think he could do that, breaking up the play and that combat, you know, combative and, and you know, fouls, tackles, winning the ball um, could help the back back line, especially from crosses. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like him. Um, I think he offers quite a lot and much needed height as well in the middle of a pitch and set pieces at both ends. Um, but yeah, I, I, thought he, I thought he was really good on, on Tuesday night, as were quite a few. To be honest, um, it's a bit of a weird game because there weren't many players that I thought were bad, but we've conceded three goals. Um, so it's, I think Luke said it, story of our season in, in one game. Um, ultimately, some good football played, good performances, but sloppy and sloppy goals and sloppy mistakes.
2: And one of those mistakes and one of those goals, Luke, was the second that, I mean, it's a real bad mix-up between O'Connell and Lynch, and it's so harsh to say that Lynch is at fault because I'm not even 100% sure it was his his fault rather than the defenders. But he's then gone on and made an unbelievable save a few minutes later and saved the penalty. But you see those mistakes from him, and you wonder, you know, whether he is the long-term solution to what has become a, a bit of a goalkeeping problem really this season.
3: Yeah, I mean, for me, I, for me, I, I I viewed it as Lynch's error. I think he hesitated coming off his line, and you know when he did, it was too late, and then it kind of made O'Connell look pretty bad as well. Um, for me, that is a goalkeeper's ball all day, and the hesitation was what costed him. Um, I don't know if he's been stung. I mean, he's played non-league for the majority of his his career, hasn't he? And you kind of expect. You know, going down into into non-league, he would have had his, uh, his fair few of um, battles as far as strikers throwing him into the back of the net. You know, because he's a small keeper, isn't he? And I don't know if he's been scarred or whether it's just a genuine weakness with regards to claiming uh, claiming crosses. Um, he's looked better at it generally, I think, since he's come back into the team, um, and he's looked pretty steady um, in all aspects of his goalkeeping. But yeah. I don't think you can kind of um, make an excuse for the hesitation, and uh, it cost us no doubt about it. Um, but you know, credit where credit's due as well. At the same time, that save was unbelievable. Um, there's not many keepers saving that. Um, he, I think he was just kind of—it's like a five-side save almost. He was—he was patient and and read it. He was he, he made his move almost just as the Wimbledon player was going to put it in the back of the net. So. You can you can you can kind of reflect on it and go well he made up for his mistake but it don't work like that you know we conceded the goal and that applies pressure um, and and you know so it's not like for like in many respects but um, does it cost him his his place as far as being our future number one seeing those falls in his game it, it does unless he improved on it the next question is do you give him his, do you give him that opportunity to improve on it I don't think, I'm not so sure, because he he is of an age where you kind of expect him to be fully rounded as a as a professional goalkeeper now. Um, but, you know, he's been better than Bizzouna. I think that's a fact.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that. Uh, I think one thing that kind of frustrates me about the, the goalkeeping situation this season has just been, I look at both of our keepers and I know he wasn't the most popular or the most consistent, but I miss Josh Lillis. I just think he would have been better than both of them. Um, agree I, you disagree with that right
0: I think Lynch is better than Lillis
1: massively
2: <laughs> massively
1: yeah uh, I, do well. believe, I do believe I said that a few weeks ago and got I laughed at for saying yeah. it
2: yeah I'm going to I'm going to have to do a Twitter poll I think and see what put it to the put it to the fan base that one um, Ryan I'm going to come to you for maybe a little bit of positivity is there any hope that we can pull this off now at, at this stage it kind of needs. It needs a two-game swing that goes completely our way, doesn't it? With Wigan losing both and us winning both, or or Wimbledon losing both and us winning both. Is there any chance? What? Give us a a percentage of a chance that you 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 give us to get out of this.
0: We got a calculator. <laughs> um, it's dead hard because there's obviously a chance because we're not highlighted in red with a big R next to us yet, but. It's looking difficult. We're going to have to... What works in our favour, I think, is... I say works in our favour. doesn't really because there's very little chance. But even if Wigan draw both the games and we win both, we stay up um, because of a better goal difference. And obviously that would be bettered further by winning. Um, They've got Hull to play on Saturday. We're going for the title, so you probably don't expect them to get anything from that. And then the last game, Swindon, where you just expect them to win. But could you say it's good omens from the other year when Oldham played already relegated Northampton? Uh, so we've got to win both. All we can do is do our job. I sound like a manager, don't I? But we can only look at ourselves and look at the next game and win both and see what happens. But Donnie are in bad form. Um, I haven't been doing To I was speaking to Jack Leaming this week and he said that there loads of injuries a couple of players with Covid and what have you so I think it'll go to the last day and it'll be typical because it'll give us all hope and then no doubt Wigan will smash Swindon about 7-0 or something uh, there's still a chance I sort of kind of wish there wasn't
2: <laughs> Can I make a prediction? I reckon it goes down to the last day we lose so okay <laughs> in the last minute yeah, that feels like it would be a fitting way to end this season, doesn't it?
3: I felt we were down and out, and now since listening to Ryan, like, oh no, we have we've got a chance. Like.
2: <laughs> I must admit, I'm the same. Chaff do, want, Chaff, do you want to extinguish that bit of hope? Here we <laughs> go. <laughs> <Bye, bro>. and <Another>. no
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, so I think it's it's looking like relegation's nailed on. Although Ryan did give me a little bit of hope there, um, a few other things. Outside of uh, of the performances on the pitch and the relegation battle, Luke, it looks like Ethan Briley could be not on his way to Manchester City, but he's training with Manchester City. Uh, you know, the link between the two clubs seems like it's quite strong, despite whatever happened with Quadro Bar in January. Um, what do we make of that? We haven't seen a lot of him play, obviously, but uh, w- would we be happy to see him go for the right kind of fee, or would we want to see him play a few more games, perhaps, and maybe even rise his stock a little bit further before he moves on?
3: I think it all depends on what you get for the player if he did go early. Um, I think mean my my perception is that you don't get, you know, potentially what what they truly are worth when you sell them as early as that before they've kind of, you know, made their, um, made their impression on the first team and, and, and got some football league experience. But having said that, you know, you look back at the likes of Callum Camps and, and Jamie Allen and, uh, you know, even Cannon to a certain extent, you know, they clocked up a lot of games for us. Um, we didn't exactly get mega bucks for, for him. Um, I don't think we didn't get anything for Camps to do it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a tricky one. I think it all depends on what he would go for if he did go now. But I think it's encouraging. To, to, it's, I was surprised, to be fair, I know he's got a good reputation, but you're talking about Man City here. You're talking about, you know, the best club arguably in Europe. Um, you know, so um it, it's, it does surprise me because what is seventeen, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be city standard, you're gonna you've got to be some player even at that age to be kind of making an impression. Um, I think in my head you've got to be championship standard at the age of seventeen to give yourself a chance of uh, being a future Manchester City player. Um but you know it's good. It's you know it's good it's good for the football club, um, I think, as far as, you know, the it's another selling point, you know, if someone like Bradley wants to move on to City or even training with them. But um from a selfish perspective, we don't we never see the best of our players, the ones that kinda of go on to bigger and better things. Um, because that's where we're at in the in the pecking order in the food chain. But it would be nice to see someone who is Rochdale-born and bred, who is a Rochdale fan, actually kind of make his impression on, on the first team um, and then sell him later down the line. That would be my personal preference, but it is from a more of a selfish perspective rather than maybe what might be best for the um, finances of,
1: of the football club. Right, first of all, Luke, Manchester City are not a massive club at all. They're a brilliant team. They're one of the best teams in Europe and they're probably going to win the Champions League. I'm not having to say that they're one of the biggest clubs in Europe because they're not. Is that what I said? I thought I meant the best. Same thing. However, the point that you make about like players not, you're not getting the true value, um, or the as much value, not playing in the team. I think Dean alluded to it either on Twitter or on the message pod before. But Barry have done a brilliant job, um, in recent years of getting a lot of money for players like. Um, Jacob Bedell and Matty Foulds when they've barely played um, and they've done really well at like negotiating those deals and getting those deals done um, and all of this is pretty it, it's speculation because we don't know how our finances are and it may be that we're having to sort of cash in now if those opportunities come just to be able to to, to balance the books we, we we don't know how desperate we are for money um, we've seen it before in years gone by where we've had to sell to to pay bills um thinking adam Lafondre going to Rotherham for 150,000 pound to basically keep the, the club afloat we may have to sort of cash in whatever we can now for the for the brighter prospects um i do i, I quite agree with you when you say like about um he's probably got to be a bit further developed um, for, for, for Manchester City. You're looking at the likes of Jude Bellingham, um, who's similar age to to Ethan Briley. And there's no comparison. Briley's played four times in the league for us this season. Um, only one start. So I'm, I'm a little bit surprised at City are looking at him. Um, but it's a good thing, I think. Um it sort of puts him in the, the shop window, so to speak, for other clubs to look at him as well if that trial doesn't sort of come off. And, and hopefully, we can make a, a decent amount on him. Um I presume you're going to come onto it, but Quadro Bar as well. Um, City were looking at, at all but done a deal with him as well. So they're evidently looking quite closely at our academy, and, and that can only be a good thing, really.
2: Yeah, I think I'd agree with what you say about players like Bellingham, you know, look like they're already at City's level at a similar age to Briley, but obviously players develop at different stages. And I think what, what is noticeable about Briley is he, he he still very much looks like a seventeen year old. I don't think he's physically developed yet. And if he is going to be kind of a late physical develop developer, bloomer, then, you know, he could it could be that in two or three years that he ends up looking like a Manchester City player but he just isn't quite ready, even now at League One level.
3: It's your question, doesn't it? What's what's best for a player of that age with regards to their own development and career? Because you mentioned the likes of um, Bedou at Bury. I think he's been at Scunthorpe, has he? This yeah, he's been at Scunthorpe, yeah. Um, where's Falls? What's he up to? Uh, Bradford, I think. He's in League so, Two. Somewhere. So, they get, the, they get the big money move, and then they hang about in an under-23 team and then they go back to kind of lower league football. I wonder, you know, obviously every player is different and the situations are different, but I wonder if those players, all right, if they say they that, not they probably won't be any better off. It's probably not a good example, but um, if, you know, you stay at your your, your club like you're with, you, you clock up your, your games, you get your experience in and you develop, like you said, Dean, players develop at different stages, don't they? Yeah. Um, whether that kind of that break from com- true competitive football actually hinders a player, I think it probably has in in you know for for certain players and potentially the likes of those that we're uh, we're talking about from from Barry.
2: Well, I think what's what is interesting if you think about it that way is out of those players for, that left Berry, the one that um, is probably in a better position in his career now is Callum Styles, who yeah. went to Barnsley, which yeah. is kind of that level between, isn't it? So I think that that maybe shows what the the best kind of path would be. I think as well, um, when we talk about Briley maybe potentially never really being City level, what we do see, I I don't think it's happened quite as much at City yet, but something that Chelsea have done in stockpiling these young players is they're getting them in for a few hundred thousand from a League Two side and then they develop them into maybe not 1st team players but championship players who they can then command two, three, four million for and it ends up being another... Revenue stream for clubs at that level, even if they never see Riley as a as a potential first team player. But it's certainly an interesting one. I, I think there's definitely a part of me that, like you say, would love to see him kind of nail down a first team place next year, especially as a Dale fan as well. Something we'd all want to see. But if it's the right thing for the club financially, then obviously he has to go. And um, Chaff, I'll come back to you. You touched on Quadro Bar as well. It looks like he's going to be moving on to Watford. Do we think? It's better to get the, I think 125000 has been the rumoured quoted fee. Um, is it better to take that now than, than risk the tribunal or maybe even leave, losing him to a team outside of England and getting no compensation?
1: I'd say so, to be perfectly honest with you. But I'm one of them that cashes out on any, <laughs> any bet that's coming in. Um, but yeah, if, if, them, if they're offering that kind of money, I'd take it. You don't want to say no and stop him either, to be perfectly honest with you. don't want to sort of... If a, if a Premier League club like well, Watford are going to be next season then have come in, you can't really say no to them. Um, for the for the players, it's, it's their ambition isn't it, it, it to play a Premier League. And, yeah, if the money's there, I'd take it. I mean, I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, I, I've not seen anything since January um, from him. I don't think he's... He's had as much influence on our first team as um, it potentially looked like he might do in sort of in the earliest earliest stages of the season, and I think that that city move collapsing has probably had a big impact on him. So for him to get another chance at a, a move to a big club, I don't begrudge him that at all. There's always a risk in there of, of of saying no and leaving it to a tribunal and cash is king in it if you if you've got the offer there and we need it. I think we're only right to take it, to be perfectly honest
2: with yeah. you. Ryan, do you think it's a good move for for Barr to go to Watford? They've just been promoted back into the Premier League. Like Chaff said there, the last few months, he's not really offered a lot on the pitch, but there have definitely been flashes earlier in the season where you can see serious potential in him.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, because I think Watford's pr- a better move for him than perhaps what City would have been, although I'm not sure now I've said that. <laughs> just... I don't see him as being that level yet. So I think regardless of what move he, I think even if he stays with us, I don't think it's a first team start regular starter next season. So it probably don't matter where he goes, I think he's probably gonna be in a similar he'd obviously get more game time with us than he will at Watford. There's no doubt about that. But um you think of some of the players that have been at Watford probably fits that style be played on the you know on the wings quite a lot. They've always got quick, tricky wingers. So he you know he can probably learn a lot from the likes of is Ismaili Sar. Um players like that if he's gonna stay and if he doesn't I suppose there's, there's a place for Bar to to potentially claim a spot. Um I'd be very surprised if he's playing Premier League football though next season. Um he's not gonna stay there's no doubt about that. So yeah. I don't think Watford's a worse move for him back down south as well. Perhaps he wants to, to get back down there.
3: It's such a weird one because I actually think Barr's got just as much of a chance of falling out of football as what he what he does in, in making it. He's so raw and his game is just so kind of one dimensional that to make it a, to make it higher of the leagues, he he's gonna to have to round his game out massively. Um does he have that? I don't know. I don't know. He's obviously still really young. I also question his mentality as well. I don't think, um, I don't think the attitude, the maturity is there yet um, from what I can, you know, from what I've seen. Um, just, And I'm only going off, you know, again, this is just my opinion. I'm just going off things like body language and, you know, reactions to when, um, you know, at the end of the game, seem kind of just almost like he looks like he's sulking almost. So I, just that kind of that persona that he gives off. He's a young lad. He can grow up, you know, and I, I really do hope uh, that, he, that he can, you know, forge a good career for himself. I think in selling him now, I would imagine there's possibly add-ons within that deal as well and, and things like that, which we, we may not, you know, truly get if something went to kind of, you know, something went to, to court. So um, he's such an interesting one. We're talking about a player going to the Premier League. But in the same breath saying that, I'm not quite so sure that he will actually make it as a footballer full stop. It's a
1: strange one. I'm going to compare it to Will Buckley because Will Buckley went to Watford as well. He's only, will Buckley was probably only about 12 months further on than what Wadrow Barr is. And Will Buckley's three times a player, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Went for pretty much double what we're rumoured to be getting for Bar. Um, so I, I, I think I'm with Luke. I think it's quite a hit and miss, really, with with Quadro Bar, and I think a lot needs to happen um, for him to realise the, the true potential that he that he has, because we, we've we've seen that he's got bags of ability there, um, but he, he he's going to he needs to he needs to find a way of producing that a lot more often than what than what he has done. And I know he's very young, and I know, like you said before, people develop at certain ages, but I the Will Buckley comparison is quite an interesting one for me. He um, he played nearly sixty games and scored into double figures by the time he left us to go to Watford. He's only twelve months further on than what than what bar is, I think. So yeah, it's an interesting one. Personally, I'd say if you if we've got one hundred and twenty grand, one hundred and twenty-five pound coming, and and potentially add-ons, I'm I'm taking that mate.
2: Yeah, I think definitely with the contract situation as well, and I think it's worth it for Watford as well. There's definitely a potentially you know a really talented exciting player there and for 125 grand for a club that size it's probably not much of a risk for them um we'll move on to some of the other off-field matters and just before we started recording this the the trust have released a statement regarding their request for an EGM being rejected um I've got to be honest I didn't have loads of time to read it Chaff what have you made of that what happens next. Uh, it looks like you know the, the trust are going to maybe try and answer some of the questions that the club have, which is ironic since um, they haven't answered the trust's questions. Um, it's still such a mess at the moment, isn't it? It's, it is.
1: It's a mess. It's, that's exactly how I would, um, how I would describe it. Um, I don't think I ever thought that the club would just say, yeah, that's fine. We'll have an EGM. I always thought there'd be at least one um Person saying no, 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 don't want that, and the grounds on what the um, um that they've rejected it on. I kind of predicted that that you kind of you need four people according to like our the, the 1917 Act. You need four directors, and this is seen as a potential risk to to go below the minimum minimum, but given that we've only got four. That was always going to be the case. So I'm hoping that there's a way around it. I don't know if there is a way around it. Only the trust can can answer that. Um, but in the statement they said that they are they look they're hopefully gonna secure a solution. Um so we've just got to wait and see what they can do. Um let's not kid ourselves, this hinges on one particular person, does not it? And I've lost complete trust in the way that our football clubs run because of this one person complete trust I've never felt like that about the club before um, as I do now and it's very hard to watch all this unfold um the the lack of communication from the football club it's it's pathetic to be perfectly honest with you um I'm, I'm not even convinced that they know how bad that they, they look it just it, it screams that they just don't get it if that makes sense. Like, did Did y'all get the email before with your follow code? Um, <laughs> it Basically, it said not to be missed, Rochdale versus Doncaster. And I'm thinking, do, do you know what you're talking about? We've got very little chance of staying up. It's not a celebratory sort of game to watch. I just don't think that the, the, there's a connect anymore at all between supporters and the people who run the football club. Um, and that in itself is absolutely demoralising. Um, I think a lot of credit's got to go to the supporters' trust as well because they they they're hammering it, they they are hammering it, and they're trying to get answers, and they are they, desperate to get answers, and they're desperate for some sort of resolution, but they just they're not being met at it. So yeah, it's it, it, it's horrible to to see all this unfold. I didn't, I'm not surprised that there's that they've rejected the the calls for an EGM. I would hope that the something can can happen that changes that um and we we need to see change quite quickly and hopefully that's the essentially the
2: removal of one person yeah ryan um that lack of connection between the club and the fans that lack of communication from the club it's really becoming um difficult to to watch unfold at this point and you gotta ask yourself what the supporters do from this point, because um, that one person who Chaff's alluding to there—I think everyone knows who it is—and I think the vast, vast majority are, are desperate to see some sort of change on that front in the coming weeks. And you've got to wonder, you know, where does that come from now? Because it feels like there's no coming back for him and for the current board from this stage, because everyone is fed up, and um, a relegation in the midst of that definitely isn't going to help their uh, their cause either, is it?
0: No. I think there's a lot of criticism to, to a single person um, and whether you believe that to be right or wrong, um, you've got to question the, the strength of the other board members because if this one person is performing so poorly and he's doing so many things wrong, Why aren't they picking up on it? Why aren't they calling him out on it? Why aren't they making more decisions? So you've got to assume that they're all pointing. One person cannot run a business. Run a business when there's three other directors. It does. It can't happen. It's impossible. That no matter what business it is. So they obviously agree. So I think to level all the blame at one person, I think is slightly unfair. And I think the fact that we praise, there's one in particular that we never mention, that there's one other that always gets praised because of his, his presentations and, and things like that, that have always gone down pretty well. And one who's ill by all accounts, I get that. But what are they doing? What are they doing at the football club? Because they're not, they say supporters, they must know the disconnect at this moment in time. They have to. I think I'm pretty sure their family members will be supporters. Nothing to do with the board. They'll be in the telling them how poor the communication is. So, yeah, this one person is always getting the criticism. But for me, what are the others doing? What are, the, what are all the staff members who are involved in communicating with the supporters doing at that football club at this moment in time? I think there's not a single person at the football club, probably barring the office staff and Dave in the club shop, who care at all about the supporters and what they think. and. You've got to, I suppose, feel sorry for all the staff of the club, to be honest, because can imagine they're feeling it. They're feeling the pressure at this moment in time. I'm sure of it. They'll be demoralised. They'll read the message board. They'll read social media. You don't want to work for a business that's just getting criticism from all angles. So, yeah, I've never felt this before. I think At the start of the season, I wondered why there was criticism because I I felt a bit sorry for him. I didn't know where where they could go. I didn't know what they could do with the money we had. But I think the boss performance this season, every single one of them, has been extremely poor.
2: One thing I would say, you talk about whether they're pulling in the same direction or not. I think if you read their statement, um, Andrew Kelly actually did answer some of the questions, despite the fact that the club officially said that they weren't going to respond. So I don't know. I think... I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lack of communication between the directors because I'm not convinced that they are pulling in the same direction at the moment. Um, there, there just doesn't seem to be any kind of um, teamwork or, or you know, being on the same page, as it were, um, coming from the club. So you know, it's, it's a further criticism, to be honest.
0: Yeah, just on that, um, you say he answered the questions. I
2: said, of, I said some of the questions. I think it was three of them and they were quite short answers, weren't they?
0: Yeah, they were pretty much the same answer for all three, uh, of which it answered one of the questions, really. Um, so it's obviously just to shut them up. In, in my opinion, that's how it looks. Shut them up, answer a couple of questions. Let's not kid ourselves.
2: Fair enough. Um, I'm just, I just don't understand why he would answer even in that way if, if the club are going to officially not answer any of them. Do you know what I mean? I just think if, if if the stance is to just not answer, then don't answer. Don't have the interim chairman answering them. Um, and I think that's kind of the way that I've seen a lot of it. It's like the the communication after the, the speakman's attendance was like kind of a, a token gesture. It's like, oh, we're improving our communication. We're going to respond to these um, specific claims. In a way, I'd rather they just didn't. Because it feels—it just feels like they're picking and choosing, and that's worse than just flat out refusing to engage with us. Like, if you're going to engage, then do it in the right way. And Luke, I'm going to use this opportunity to have a little bit of a rant about the season ticket um, boycott, which has been mentioned by some. Um, I, I'm assuming that you three wouldn't be partaking in that, but from a personal point of view. Uh, I've not been a season ticket holder for a while due to work or university and a few different factors. This season, my situation has changed and I would have been able to be a season ticket holder. I felt at the start of the season that the price wasn't really worth it for the fact that the club was struggling to kind of put a team together and I weren't sure how many games I was going to get to and I felt that the, the money that they were asking for was a bit too much. This season, I'm desperate to go back to, to watch Rochdale. I miss you a lot. I miss my miss watching the game with my dad. It's been 18 months since I've been to watch a game at, you know, a, a, a ground where I've spent half my life growing up watching football and loving it, um, and I can't help but feel at this stage that I don't. The club doesn't deserve my money. Um, I I love Rochdale AFC, like I really, really do. And I know when I said this, something similar to this last year, a few people kind of accused me of not being a Dale fan. I, I'm fine with that. Um, I'm fine with people not saying I'm not a Rochdale fan. What I'm not fine with is being taken for as a mug. And that's how I feel at the moment. I feel the club are are treating the supporters with absolute contempt. They're not responding to us. They're not engaging with us. They've overseen a relegation. um, And they seem to think, you know, from the communication at the fans forum that everything's going well and everything's kind of, they kind of accepted they needed to improve the communication. They haven't. Everything else that night was like, yeah, things are going great. The academy's going great. Everything's going really well. I feel like they're just asking for my money, and and no matter what they expect me to give it to them. And um, as much as I love Rochdale, I'm not like I say, I don't. I feel at this point in time, I'm being taken for granted, and that for me, uh, I'm in a situation where I think that that hurts me more than um, missing out on going to watch Rochdale when I've got. You know, there's there's other clubs that I like going watching non-league football. Like there are other things I can do with my Saturday, and it might make this podcast a bit strange if I'm asking you like, what's actually happened at the game but I'm at a situation where I just feel I'm not going to be taken um, as a mug and I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of other fans feel that way um, this summer Luca I, I, I know I kind of just ranted at you for a bit there but how worried are you hearing you know, someone like me say that and knowing that I'm not the only one who feels that way at the moment uh, yeah
3: I mean I'm, I'm personally torn Um but, you know, listening to your points, Dean, like, I can't knock any of them. I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, I completely understand kind of any Dale fan with, you know, um, basically voting with your feet, basically. You you, you know, you're doing something that um, will hopefully encourage change at the football club. That's I think that's what you're kind of saying in, in kind of, you know, in, in fans withholding um, you know withholding spending the money on season tickets um the aim is that you know positive change would happen at the football club as a result of it, and then maybe you then invest and and, and then you put your money back into the club I can't knock that I think that scares me a little bit is um well that that worries me you know people like you who, who I respect as as a Dale fan I respect your opinion on the club you know feeling that way that worries me um i you know the the other side of it is are we are we kind of stabbing the club in the back a little bit? Like are we are we are we gonna damage the club even more to a point where because we don't know where we truly we sit from a financial perspective, we're gonna affect our chances of actually even having a football club. And it's kind of like cause that's like unknown, I think mean, that's in power why I am torn. If there was a, a direct correlation between withholding your money on a season ticket to enforce a change at the club and then being able to put your money into it and the club will still survive. Uh, then I'd be all for it. But because it's unknown, I, I think personally as I'm talking, I don't, you know, all right, my personal season ticket money won't make a difference. This is kind of, a, you know, it's got to be, you know, in numbers. But I don't want to do anything that's going to affect the, the, the future of the football club as, as as a way of kind of running. Um, because like you said, Dean, I miss going to the game with you guys. Um, I was saying it on the way to the Sporters game with, with the lads last week that, you know, even as, as friendship goes, like you know, we've all got our reasons for following the club, and you know, one of the reasons for me is I look at my my kind of my group of friends, and everyone comes from supporting Rochdale. I wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking to each other as a group of mates now if it wasn't for following Rochdale. Um, we wouldn't have been on the the weekends away that we've been on all this together without you know the football club. Um, you know, Chaff, you made a passionate kind of um, you know I, won't for, I don't forget what you said. Um, Several podcasts ago about why you love sport in the club, um, and I wouldn't want to contribute towards stopping that for the future generations, you know. Um, but again, that's just that's you know we're allowed our opinions, and I respect yours there, and I fully understand it. And um, I just it scares me not having a football club, and you know for me relegation, it's gutting. The game on Tuesday, gutting. But the key thing is that we've got a football clubs to support next season, and at a time when everything's opening up post COVID, you know, I cannot turn away Harrogate away with, with with everyone on the piss up, you know, following Dale. Um, but it's just because it, it's unknown. I, I truly don't know. That's just my opinion.
2: Yeah, um, I don't think I'll be turning down Harrogate away, to be fair, even if I was boycotting <laughs> a season. Um, but yeah, just a, a few counterpoints from that. Um, it is uh, Part of it is, you know, in terms of like trying to enforce change, otherwise there's not really much point of a boycott if you're not trying to do that. It's just, as a fan, what more can you do? If You, you can tweet, you can protest. Honestly, I, I don't think the people at the club will care one jot about what people are saying on Twitter or the forum. I think if they did, they'd have already made a change. Something would have already changed as a matter of that. Um, so I think it's the only it's the only kind of option to try and do what you can do as a non-shareholding supporter is to withdraw your financial support. Um, but it's not just that. I, again, it's just from a from the point of view of um, not feeling taken for granted. That's that's kind of the underlying point for me. Um, and I think over the last year, I, I certainly have doing it. It'll start for me on Saturday. I'll be paying Doncaster the ten pounds to watch the game on Saturday because I'm just I can't put any money more money into the club the way it's being run at the moment. It's just um, at a stage where I feel like I need to withdraw my money to try and do whatever I can do to try and enforce change. And I don't understand fully the reasons why people wouldn't agree with that. I really do. Um, and I really don't want it to be this way. Like I said, I don't want to have to do this. This isn't a case of me being like, oh, I can't really be bothered. It's been 18 months and I'm used to not going. I'm desperate to go to a Dale game. I genuinely am. But, um, you know, I'm just at a stage where I think something really needs to change. And it's the only way that I can see something changing is if people withdraw the the financial support for the club.
3: Yeah. And just, go, you know, just to repeat that, you know, we've... You're entitled to that 100%. I think the last thing that I personally want to see is is a divide between Del fans in any way, maybe on the back of this. Um, I think it's important that, you know, the social media platforms, the the forum, um, you know, that you know people can kind of understand each other rather than the fan base being divided as well. You know, some people are still happy with BBM as manager, some people aren't. It doesn't mean that we don't support the club any more than each other. Um, you know, we're always gonna be Rochdale fans, aren't we? So um I think it's just important that in many respects, you know, regardless of split opinion and, and whatnot, that we that we do stick together in many ways. Um
2: yeah. I'm I'm aware as always that we're kinda of running out, out of time, but I think it's worth asking you two what your opinions are on this. Um Ryan, where do you stand on the boycott? Feel free to tell me I'm being an idiot.
0: <laughs> no, I won't do that. You usually yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, not <What other> text. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's one of those things where, you know, something, if you want change that much, something's got to be done. I think, from my perspective, um, I stopped going to games under Coleman because of what was going on on the pitch. I think, if the football was so sloppy and so bad that it was becoming just you know, annoying for the weekend. I'd stop going, but I think for off the field issues, I I don't think I could ever stop going um, as long as I was enjoying the football. And yeah, we're going down, but I've made it clear in my podcast several times that I've, I've enjoyed the games this season in the most part. Um, but fully understand where people are coming from, and if it enforces change, then good on you. Um, you know, you got you're going to do something good for the football club. I just can't do it myself. Um, but yeah, I can't say you're right or wrong because we've all got our different ways of showing support or, or showing displeasure, I guess.
2: And Chaff, where do you stand on it? Um it's quite a hot topic, obviously, so it's worth getting your opinion before we sign off.
1: It's not something I can do, but I absolutely get why you and probably more than a few others will do the same. It's just not something I can do, unfortunately. Um I'm that I'm unbelievably desperate to get back to watching football and yeah I completely get where where you are coming from it it took a long time but it seemed to work at blackpool and I'm not in any way really comparing the two situations because I, I don't know the two situations to be perfectly honest with you um so but they bought voted with their feet and it took a long time but it, it, it worked in the end so if if it enforces change I won't see that as a as a bad thing, after all, there will inevitably be a divide, potentially, um, especially if on field we're not brilliant, there's always a divide there anyway, um, and I'd love to avoid that, but whatever method people have of trying to trying to enforce change, I'm, I'm, I can't sit there and knock it because it's needed, the lads who protested outside the, the main... Outside that, well, I think they were outside the main doors, and then they got moved, didn't they? Not wrong in, in in what they're doing. Um, I mean, I don't agree with the the jaws feud logo being associated with it. I think it, I think that has a negative effect in itself. But I, I don't disagree with with them making a stand. So, yeah, this football club means absolutely everything to me. Um, I met my girlfriend through it. I met my lad's mum. Through it effectively, because her dad's a big Rochdale supporter. Um, all my friends, like like you guys, I wouldn't know you without the football club. Like Lou said, the, the the holidays that that we've been on, um, I know that it it's all, it all stems from from this football club, which is why it hurts so much. What's what what we're all going through at the minute. So anything that stops that hurt is a good thing. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I'd. I'd, I'd it
2: comes down to it. I don't have the ballots to do it. I think the, the the Blackpool comparison again. I don't. I don't know. I didn't know enough about the Blackpool situation to compare. But I think what what the boycott did at Blackpool, which was really important, was it it raised the issue to a wider audience. Um, I think at the at the moment, the issues that we're having at Dale, I don't think they're known outside of. The fans of the club, I don't think they're known in the local media. They're not being reported in the national media. I don't think there's been anything reporting on it. And I do think it would maybe raise the issue to a wider football audience, which then, you know, garners more support and more um, acknowledgement from elsewhere that, you know, things need to change, which is always important. Um, and I would hope that maybe a boycott would serve that purpose a little bit. Um, I'm aware this has now become one of our longest ever podcasts. So, and also, Luke has just disappeared on us quite clearly bored of one of our rants there Chaff so, um, so was obviously thanks to Luke for joining us but he can't say anything back um, Ryan thanks very much for joining me tonight mate No, nice one Dean and cheers Chaff nice one we'll catch you all next time up the door
1: He's like looking
0: towards Luke on oh mine. Smile. He oh, it,
1: it was just it, it looking away from Luke, actually, looking amazed, though. Yeah, he's, lo- he's like looking up at the sky, almost, like. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: oh...
1: I don't have a clue what's going on here